Time now for the weekly wrap, and with me is Anu Smith from Sky Blue Fund Managers, sometimes in Cape Town, but at the moment in my old hometown of London. They say if you're tired of London, you're tired of life, Anu. It is a great place to go, isn't it? It is. got to tell you, um, I, well, when one do miss your your hometown or your home countries, so, yes. you know, after about five days, four days, I get a bit, not agitated, but what do you call it, probably longing for South Africa, longing for a bit of a dry and a bit of warm weather. Well, also, um, your, your wallet has been uh, robbed by going to a pub and uh, paying £4 to £5 for a glass of beer or uh, some fairly ordinary wine. That's the one thing I think of when I go to London. I just can't believe how people, ordinary people can live because it is so ruinously expensive. It is unbelievable. Um, I had this exact same conversation yesterday with a guy who moved here. Well, two people actually, and one day who's moved across one guy 18 months ago and the other guy was about a 12 month, yeah, about a year ago. Yeah. And, um, yeah, look, it's, 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 it's very expensive. London is not a cheap place to, to stay and it's definitely not a cheap place to visit. It's better than, than it used to be with the rand being slightly stronger versus the pound or should we say the pound being much weaker yes. <laughs> given the Brexit scenario. Um, but yeah, it's still expensive, even with that bit of currency movement, um, which isn't much, but uh, it's about a three three rand to, to the pound, depends on when you start measuring. Um, but it's still expensive if you convert it back to rands. And I think the biggest problem they have in London currently, and a lot of people that you speak to actually mention this, and they, they say to you that London has actually now become very expensive, and even travel from London has become expensive Mm. more expensive because of the pound scenario. So it's, it's definitely not a cheap place, um, and it, it's a bit more expensive than it used to be. Just as, 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 as out of interest, I mean, you, you walk into the, store, into, into the shops and you compare some of the prices, like, for instance, clothing, and it's now the end of season sales is obviously starting in London now, so you can buy jackets and stuff, for, which what used to be fairly cheap, even compared to South African prices, and now... If you convert some of those prices back to rents, it's actually not that cheap. Um, you're probably better off buying from Woolies or something no. local in South Africa. I, 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 I would quality. disagree with you. If, if you really are an assiduous shopper and a careful retail retail person, then you, I think you can go around and you can find things for £15-20 that would be more expensive in South Africa. But then you have to really, you know, you have to get on the tube or get on the bus and, and find these places. Yeah, and go a bit further out. Yeah, yeah that, that might be true. But anyway, we're talking too much retail now. Let's talk about the week that's just gone by. And I think we have to go back to last night. You were in London. Did you watch the State of the Nation address on the internet? And if you did, what did you think of it? I didn't watch. Um, I've read all the highlights and I've read all the commentary, obviously, this morning. And um, yeah, look, it, I think it's a, it's much better than what we used to, or that what we've become accustomed to over the last ten years. Uh, and uh, one, one can clearly now see. I think the president has now got a firmer grasp of control, and he's got a firmer, uh, much more focused approach. He knows what he wants to do. Obviously, we've still got elections coming up, so whatever happens in elections, and it might actually make his his power base even stronger, hopefully, because I think we are on the right track. I think the type of stuff he's highlighting is, is very... It's, uh, look, I've, it's a tough task. It's not going to be happen over one year. I, I think it's a much longer-term outlook and a much longer-term plan that he's trying to put in place than a one-year plan. But stuff like like splitting ESCOM up, we've never heard stuff like this. It's, it's new stuff, It's and it's... It is, it, it's actually 
I think what what makes it interesting is because it's new and and at least they're trying something different, yeah. and you know simple stuff like economic zones, for example, that stuff that was started prior to the previous ten years, and then it sort of fell away, and now it's pretty much back on the map. And um, I don't know how much you know about Atlantis, which is just outside of Cape Town, a West Coast side. Now, that's one of those areas, industrial zones. Which was a failure to start with, wasn't it? Because I remember driving past yeah, there yeah. and seeing these big signs, Atlantis Industrial Zone or Trade Zone, whatever it was, and nothing ever happened. There was never any activity. I saw vacant plots. But has that changed? It has changed somewhat. Not. It's not well, – I should be careful now. It's, it's not a, it's not a, a screaming success. But there is definitely some industrial companies in there, smaller, medium to small companies, so it's not big. But they are creating jobs and they are creating you know, economic upliftment in that area. So I've spoken to, uh, ironically enough, about a, a week, two weeks ago, I've spoken to a guy who, who works for one of those companies. And um, they are doing very well in, in, in that area with the smelter. And if that works for them. So And, and reaches by it's got the same thing, and um, uh, Bitvest has got that um, gas, uh, the tanks, which the, the, which will probably come online later this year. So, so there's a lot of stuff happening in those zones. Yes, I do think they can make it even more compelling for companies to move into those zones, but at least the thinking is there to do something like it and to actually make it work. Now, again, as always is the case, they need to make it work. And this is now where it becomes problematic because you now need to implement all the stuff that's been spoken about needs to be implemented. And we, we, we said exactly the same thing last year when Ramaphosa had his first address. And, uh, you know, it, it's exactly the same thing. The proof is in the pudding. So mm. hopefully after elections, we can actually do more and talk less because I think that's what we need now. There's a lot of noise about capital commitment from, from offshore investors. Uh, but, I mean, to, uh, just to interrupt you, just to talk about talking more, it is very, very important for someone to be very visible and very voluble mm-hmm. when he does have the eloquence that he has, whereas Mr. Zuma, President Zuma beforehand, was not particularly skilled in talking. He was very charming in one-to-one mm-hmm. meetings and sitting around a table, apparently, and people liked him, despite the fact that they didn't like what he was doing. They couldn't help but be charmed by him. Mr. Ramaphosa has both the charm and the substance, I think. I don't think mm-hmm. that he's going to be able to solve the problem in his term. It's it's a generational problem that we've got here. But I do think he's a very good start. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think what's different is that he's got the backing of the private sector behind him. Well, it seems like it. Most of the private sector, the big companies, is talking the same talk. And he's definitely in conversation with them. So I think that, in my mind, is one of the biggest differences, is that Instead of just trying to build this big government type of economy where uh, government's the you know, employer of last default and, and so forth and so forth, almost the China type of model, he has now reversed it and said, no, 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 we can't do this. We need the private sector, so we need to work together. And that already is a huge step in the right direction because we are not China and we don't have the reserves and the resources that China's got. So we we can't do it on the, on, on the same basis. Um, we have to do something different. So hopefully, yeah, I mean, obviously, like I said, the proof is in the pudding, um, but hopefully over time he gets the ability, he gets the power to actually implement some of these strategies. And I mean, there was also mention of some of the SOEs being sold 
if you want to call it privatized, which I suppose the EFF would obviously not like. No. And In so, fact, NUMSA doesn't even like the, the ESCOM story because they're saying, I think the headline in fin24.com this morning was, NUMSA will meet you on the streets, Ramaphosa, regarding ESCOM. So they don't like this split up because obviously a certain amount of jobs which are superfluous to requirements anyway, to normal people's minds, are not to their minds and they want to preserve those jobs. So NUMSA are mm -hmm. not happy at all. Yeah, look, as, as long as we've got the unemployment problem, um, the, the labor unions would be very strong in South Africa. I mean, I, I read an article over the week, um, the U.S. and in, in the U.S., the labor or the union participation or union members is the lowest it's been in I don't know how many years. It's almost negligible. But that's because they've got full employment. So it probably makes a union far less important. If it's a country like ours where it's so, you know, that the split between the haves and the have-nots of to start off with is huge and then you've got this huge unemployment so the few people that does have a job that makes the union very important and very powerful and just the whole reliance between the ANC and how the whole thing came about obviously also makes them important so again you know the proof is in the pudding and I think it's, it's not easy it's definitely w wouldn't be easy but uh, somehow he needs to get everybody on sites and we need to get the unions on site and, and explain to them why we need to do, why he needs to do what he wants to do. And without doing that, we're not going to go anywhere. Because I, I, that's one thing. I've We've had 12 manager visits in, in the last couple of days or the last week in London. Yeah. And very, very little questions about South Africa or any company listed in South Africa. Um, the only manager... That manager's got SA roots, so it probably doesn't count, but that's the only manager who has a, a slightly small stake in NASPAS. But apart from that, nobody is holding any South African exposure. But is that because of uh, ignorance or is that because other emerging markets are have come to the fore and pushed South Africa aside? Is it because of the fact that the last few years have been dead years for South Africa and actually worse than dead, sort of a, a rotting cesspit of years, if you see what I mean. I'm trying to come up with something that really describes the stagnation that we've endured over yeah, the last yeah. few years. Is it because of that? Is it a legacy issue? Or is it simply because other places are just better to be in? I think it's a couple of, of factors. The, the first thing is obviously just developed markets has done better, and we've seen a very big sell-off in emerging markets. So clearly that doesn't help us. Um, and we are not even seen as a full and proper emerging market. We're almost more towards the frontier markets now. And so that's the one factor, which is a global factor, which is something we can't really do anything about as South Africa. Mm. Uh, the second factor is that last decade, basically, that 10 years that we've lost. We didn't do ourselves any favors. And then I think one should also be careful because it does, and it, I think it's still somehow the case, in that 10 years we've definitely aligned ourselves more towards China and Russia and away from US and Europe and UK. And now now we need to reshift. We need to say, well, everybody is welcome. We'll work with everybody. It's not as though we prefer certain entities within the globe. So I think that that's a second factor, which I think is fairly big and, and underplayed. And then, you know, it, it, it might just be a case that they there's just too too much uncertainty in South Africa, whereas in summer some other emerging markets, there's more certainty um, in terms of policy. Uh, so you know where they're heading and they're doing the things they're saying they're doing. Whereas in our case, it's, it's fairly difficult um, 
to judge, like we just discussed. You know, we've got great plans, but would he be able to, well, not him, would the government or would us as South Africa be able to implement those plans? Yeah. And I think that, that that's basically what the globe is asking. And then the last thing, which I think is probably the most important, is just that most of our assets isn't really cheap compared to some of the other emerging markets. So, yes, it's cheap if you look three years back. And I know there's a lot of graphs doing the rounds about five-year rolling returns, and it's the lowest we've been for a very long time. But if you look at some of the multiples on the market, it's not as though the market is dirt cheap. We're not at 2008 levels, whereas some of the other emerging markets has gone through a very big correction. Brazil, for example, no, they've still got issues in terms of politics, but some of the assets in Brazil is way cheaper than what, what you pay in South Africa. And we can even see it on government bonds. The real yields, we used to have one of the highest real yields, and we're not now, now we're not the highest. So some other countries are actually giving a better real yield, and there might be more certainty. So I think it's a, it's a combination of those factors. But it's not all lost. I mean, I'm now saying we, out of those 12 meetings, there's no exposure. But I can tell you that out of those 12 meetings, all 12 of them, they somehow got a connection to South Africa. So they've either been there on holiday, they've had exposure in South Africa, or it's a company that was bought out from something in South Africa. It's very convoluted. But remember now, this is, we're talking the UK, we're talking London, and we were used to be a British colony. So there is a big connection between us and the UK. But it's not as though we're completely off the radar. But there's no exposure. Lots of work to be done. In other words, people like you going out there and talking to people and, and selling the South African story. And the South African story, unfortunately, because of the 10 lost years, is going to have mm -hmm. to be sold and sold and sold. And it'll take a lot of time to regain people's trust. But we can regain people's trust, firstly, by things like the State of the Nation Address by President Sir Ramaphosa last night, and also because of the mining in Darbar. I've spoken to a couple of people at the mining in Darbar. I didn't go there myself. It's a bit of a bun fight. Um, so you have to sort of pick through the bones of that after it's finished. And a lot of people saying some very, very good things. And there's been some company results out this week from the mining sector of the JSE that are pretty good. I mean, ArcelorMittal, not a miner, but they came out with good mm -hmm. results. It's still in the resources sector, a user of resources and a producer. You can see Sabanya, for example, at the moment up 8%. And I'm absolutely certain that Sabanya being up 8% today is not just to do with the weak round, but because of what was said at the mining in Darba because of its PGM exposure. There's also Impala Platinum, which was a 16, 15, 16 rand share in September of last year, now 45 rand per share. Suddenly, South Africa, as it always does, manages to drag itself up because of its expertise in mining. And I, for the first time for a long time, I'm feeling slightly optimistic about mining. Yeah, look, if you want to flip what I've just said about not being on the radar or there's no exposure or not a lot of managers have got exposure. It's still worthwhile saying that South Africa and, and a lot of industries, we are at the forefront. I, mean, I spoke to a guy who's a professor at, or a lecturer at, um, at Stellenbosch University and he was telling me that that satellite that went behind the moon, some of the components on that Oh, you mean that Chinese um, thing that went yes. on to the dark side of the moon that's sending back pictures? Yes. I don't understand why they've gone there. I don't know what they're expecting to find, yeah, I'm, but I'm, I'm, it's I'm, quite fun. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not entirely clued up on that type of thing as well. <laughs> but as far as I understand, on that thing, whatever it is, I think it's a satellite, some of the components on it was actually South African components. Hmm. 
And that's the type of thing we should actually highlight. And it's stuff that we tend not to highlight. So we can have more of of that type of good news being highlighted and being promoted. I think that would go very far away in terms of putting South Africa back on the map. Because like I said, and like, like you've just mentioned, mining as well. We're at the forefront of mining. PGM baskets will be definitely at the forefront of PGMs. The likes of Sassel, which is listed now, they came out with results. And I mean, the, the, I think the biggest concern was basically the debt and the increase in cost. But Sassel is, is one of the leaders in its industry, if not the best. Nasperse is a good example. We've got all the, the nice stories. We just need to highlight the stories and, and sell them to the people because the globe will buy stories. They will buy good stories. The problem we do sit now with is that obviously there's some concern on, on global growth. And uh, I mean, it, it looks likely that we might be heading to a, a recession. There's more and more talk of it. And that's not going to be helpful for us. What we've, the Reserve Bank has, has given us is that they haven't cut rates. And I mean, I was one of the people who said they should have cut, but now it's actually working in our favor because now they've got some ammunition, dry powder, and we can actually start cutting quite aggressively if, if need be. I mean, inflation across the globe is definitely in decline. It's not increasing as was expected. So if we do go into a slowdown globally and we see inflation going down further, and I think you can look at oil price as well, it's also indicating a slower growth, then we've got dry powder. So we can actually cut interest rates quite aggressively. And, you know, all of a sudden we look much better than some of the developed markets out there. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's all fall down. Um, it's still risky. And, you know, it's like I said, the proof is in the pudding. So yeah. we'll see what happens over the next six months, one year. Okay, let's and, have a look um, back this week when it comes to corporates. We have to be selective here. The first one I want to talk about is Impala, which I've already mentioned. The second one is Kumba Iron Ore because of the atrocious situation that has prevailed at Vale, the second time in three years, three, four years that this company has misrepresented itself and misrepresented is the very very kind way to say its employees and the communities around mm -hmm. which its mines and facilities are located absolutely disgraceful but it's an mm -hmm. ill wind that blows nobody good as they say because Kumba Iron Ore has done incredibly well out of this and again up around about two and a half to three percent again today so again it's commodities in focus you as a fund manager at Sky Blue do you like commodities in general uh, that's probably the most difficult question currently, mm. because obviously with global growth backdrop, one would assume that commodities, you know, the, how much higher can they really go, the actual price, the physical price, and then you've, it looks as though with this risk of trade currently on the go, and you've got the trade wars, it seems that the dollar is, is back up stronger, and that's also not good for commodities, um, commodity prices, the physical. But having said that, if, if you buy selectively, I do think it's worthwhile having commodities, but you have to be very selective. And it's a theme not across only commodities. I think it's a global theme actually currently is be careful, go and make sure what the debt is on the balance sheet, and then you buy the company. Because anything with high debt levels, and I'm not talking exclusively debt levels, I'm just talking high debt levels and low growth is being punished by the market. And one can understand that if you're going into a low growth scenario and you've seen a bit of a you know, normalization in rates, it makes those type of companies very vulnerable. We've seen it with Aspen, we've seen it now with Sassel, we've seen it to a certain extent with SAPI as well. If 
you go and buy in the commodity space, buy something that's got less debt, something like an Anglos, for example. And yeah, Anglos is actually a very good example. Less debt, and it's also very diversified in terms of the commodity base below it. So I, I don't think you can buy the full sector, you know, the resi. You can't buy the resi. You have to be more specific than, than just buying the, the resi index. Okay. Anything else you saw this week? I mean, I know you've been traveling, but you have to keep a watchful eye on South Africa. And also you have to sell the South African story to the people in the meetings you've conducted, uh, 12 meetings mm -hmm. so far. But is there anything else? There's, there's been a bit of good news, I suppose, with the, with the Hawks. Suddenly a few, a few arrests, and maybe that's the start of something after the letters that were sent by world leaders to President Cyril Ramaphosa. Yeah, look, and, and and we heard it last night as well in, in the State of the Nation address as well. It looks as though the Scorpions, or as they call it, they termed it, the media termed it Scorpions too. Mm -hmm. um, so look, at, 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 but they're definitely going after the people that, that's guilty. And then hopefully they, they can actually you know, punish them, or get up to a point where you can sentence them because that's always been the problem. A lot of noise and again, nothing happens. And I think in this case, we would have to prove to the world that we actually are going to keep these people accountable, whomever it is. Um, so it looks as though we are making progress. In, and, and I mean, there's lots of names that obviously needs to be investigated. So this is not something that's going to happen within the next month. But hopefully a year from now, there's more than just the guy who's the whistleblower being arrested because that's obviously that that's an easy target. I mean, the guy just said I'm guilty, so <laughs> you go after him. Um, but hopefully, the other people that he's he's pointed fingers at is also being arrested and and investigated at least. And I think what we need desperately is for this whole process to be public information. So it needs to be open. It needs to be transparent. It can't be a case where. It's only one individual which is openly arrested and we make a big hoo-ha out of it and nobody else. The whole process, I think, needs to be very transparent and needs to be very, you know, everybody needs to know who was guilty and what they were guilty of. And I think if we can get to that point, we are definitely going to make progress. But, yeah, I mean, just what's interesting this week, and I think the, the biggest theme up, you know, since last year is, is this theme of, be very careful of anything with high debt levels. Um, and that's not that I'm saying that interest rates are going to increase globally, um, but we might see a bit of a bond sell-off, but that depends on the whole inflation scenario. And, you know, like like I said to somebody yesterday, last night, he's in corporate finance, and, and I said to him, oh, and he said, yeah, deal, deal flow is very difficult. He said, it's, it's where there used to be a lot of deals, it's now actually dried up. So deal flow is, is difficult. It's difficult. It's not difficult to get the money to, to lend out for the deal. It's difficult to get the actual deal. Mm. And I think the re part reason for, for that is because interest rates have increased. So we've seen higher interest rates. So remember, any deal that you do, you're probably going to have an IRI, uh, the internal rate of return, and you measure that against what you pay for, for the funding of the deal. And when rates go up, then a lot of deals just uh, doesn't look viable. So I, I would be very careful um, of debt, being exposed to overgeared companies. Um, and, and I think we've seen that, like I said, Aspen is a good example. SAP is a good example. Sassel to a certain extent. Yes, very good um, friends when things are good and devilishly bad enemies exactly, when things are bad. Exactly, and things can turn around exactly. quite quickly. And talking about turning around quite quickly, last minute or so if we can, I don't know. This time last year, I was conducting a series of, I was rather hosting a series of roadshow 
presentations for a well-known local asset management company. It was around about the beginning of February, I think it was 5th or 6th, something like that, when the market really started to get worried. And I think it was something to do with Facebook. I can't remember now. My memory's not that good. But anyway, the market started to rumble a bit. And it's always the analogy that I use is if you want to knock over a vending machine, a Coca-Cola machine, whatever, if you're a robber, you can't just push it over once. You have to rock it a little bit. Keep on rocking that thing, and then eventually it falls over. It seems to me that a year ago the market started rocking its metaphorical vending machine, if you like. So the bears were starting to rock a little bit. Then they got fed up. And then in October and also in December, they nearly got it over, but it came back again. We've had a really, really good January. February has now started to look a little bit less exuberant than January was and maybe the Coke machine can be pushed over because here we are another 1% down on the all share top 40 futures as we speak now mm-hmm. Dow mm-hmm. Jones etc last night 1% plus down do you think maybe the confidence of January was misplaced yeah look at if you look at some of the earnings that came out of the US uh, it's not looking great and um, yeah that was always one of the concerns I had was that the, the, the you know the fiscal stimulus package that Trump put in place that's a once-off and, um, and now the problem you've got is that you've got this high base in in, in the beginning of last year so and you're moving into that high base in terms of earnings so earnings is probably going to look paltry once you move forward because we have no growth you've got a high base so you can expect lower earnings and that's never a good sign for the market um, but but that that's more than you would say the US market but we are to a certain extent seeing it in South Africa um, so look again I say I, I think debt levels and it's not a case of companies being overgeared it's just companies having a lot of gearing which is you know the typical growth company if you want to call it that mm-hmm. now we have had quite a bit of them on, on, on the JSE and I think Aspen is probably the, the best example trading on it on a 20 30 pe forever and then all of a sudden the market realized well you've got a lot of debt and now the growth is not as high as the market expected although there was still growth and the growth wasn't bad the market just saying no this is what, what, what we expected so we're derating you um and and i think we might see a bit more of that going forward i mean there's there's quite there, there's still a few companies on the jse that's trading on fairly high multiples and um, if they can't deliver the type of growth the market's expecting, then we might see a bit of a of a re-rating in, in, in those companies. But having said that, I mean, a lot of companies are also very cheap. So, again, you know, that's, that's the thing. We are in this type of market where I think we're going to have sector rotation. So, you will have to be very clever and very active. Um, you don't want to time it most probably. But just make sure of your valuations. Don't go and buy stuff that's that's priced for perfection. Go and buy stuff that's already had a bit of a derating or even a, a, a very deep derating. That's probably where you need to focus now. Is um, I, I would look at earnings, look at companies, or even bonds or whatever. Something that gives you a stable income, a, a nice dividend, a nice you know interest yield, interest earning yield or income yield, whatever you want to call it. Property is a good example of that. Because whilst we have this volatility in the market going up and wherever it's a bear market, bull market, you never know. But at least you're getting that those high dividends and high distributions and high interest earnings whilst we wait for, for Trump to and, 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 and China to sort out their issues uh, whilst we wait to see whether there's a recession or not. Um, but, you know, uh, people always tell me, 
oh, I always laugh. I always chuckle when people say, oh, it's so uncertain. It's a very uncertain time. And I always they say often, that but, every but, year. But, but when is the market certain? If the market was certain, if the world was certain, then I wouldn't have a job and you wouldn't have a show. <laughs> so, so, Precisely. So the, world, the world is always uncertain. It's, it's what we make of that uncertainty. That's what's important and how you defend yourself against that uncertainty. Oh, no, thank you very much for your analysis. Just before you go, I have to ask you one thing and probably the most important question of this uh, lengthy interview. <laughs> Which pub are you going to tonight in London? Please, I have to live my life, my London life, vicariously through you. Please tell me where you're going tonight. There's a there, there's a local pub just around the corner from the hotel. It's called the Exchange, which was a, used to be a free house, as they were called years ago in London. Yes. Um, so I'll probably go there to a rather small pub. Um, last night was at, at a place called Waxy's Waxy's O'Connor, which is a huge pub. I don't know if you've seen it. I think it's fairly Irish new. pub, right? Yep, Irish pub exactly. And um, I mean that, that was just unbelievable how many people <laughs> was in the pub. It is a Thursday night which is obviously in London. That's when everybody goes well, that's to the That's the weekend, pub. practically, in London. I mean, they only work two <laughs> exactly. days a week now with Brexit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, that's actually an interesting comment you're making there. There's another uh, interesting comment that I can add to the conversation before we say goodbye. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of companies, actually, big global companies in London, is now not encouraging people. They're actually enforcing it that you have to work one day a week from home. Not a bad and, idea. And um, a lot of the people obviously choose a Friday to work from home. So Thursdays, I think, is just a bit bigger than it used to be because a lot of people work Friday from home. <laughs> and Thursdays has a great uh, – I mean, I'm going off on another tangent now. Thursdays used to be the night which was a dead night for restaurants and bars in South Africa because yes, Dallas exactly. used to be on, on a Thursday night. Do you ever remember that? <laughs> no, you wouldn't remember that. You're too young. But that's what I heard yeah. when I first came to South I Africa in 1988. <laughs> it was a phenomenon. I mean, because South Africa didn't have anything else to do. I mean, apart from the great natural beauty and everything else, <laughs> television really took hold when Dallas came on. <laughs> Onu, I'm really yeah. sorry to have uh, distracted you like that at the end, but thanks very much for your analysis of the week. It's been a fascinating week in South Africa. That was the weekly ref. Onu Smith is from Sky Blue Fund Managers, and he'll be back with us at the same time next week.